Christ was the Son of God and that there was salvation in his name. And we then talked about what is faith in general terms, and we talked about things like faith in the scripture and faith in God and faith in uh, prayer and, and faith in God's overall care of our lives. We're people of faith. When we look at the Apostles' Creed, we're talking about an objective side of faith. What is it that those apostles taught because they had been taught by Jesus and they were instructed to teach by Jesus those very same things to us? So we want to look at that. Now, last week we talked about the, the initial phrase, I believe, in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's a very short phrase. And the reason it's short is because there wasn't a great deal of controversy concerning that. A good Jew and a good Christian could mutually make that statement with the exception of the word Father. The Jewish person would be a bit squeamish about being that personal. But Jesus taught us when you pray, say, what? Our Father. And whenever Paul wrote an epistle, he wrote it to the church from God the Father, and then it goes on. And so we see that the apostolic understanding is one of intimacy. And so that differentiates us from the general Jewish uh, population in our um, understanding of that first uh, statement in the Apostles' Creed. The second statement is, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. Now, let's look at what the Apostles' Creed is teaching us there, and we want to do that by looking at Matthew 16. Matthew 16, in verse 13 to the end of the chapter, we have Jesus taking the, the disciples at that time to Caesarea Philippi, and then we have Peter making what would be, for our way of looking at things, a clear confession of faith, as it were, Peter is making a creedal statement. This is what I, Peter, believe. So let's look at this, beginning at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Uh, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told the disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Well, when we look at this, we ask, what does the Apostles' Creed reflects? And initially... What we see reflected in the Apostles' Creed is the instruction of Jesus. This is what the things that are reflected there are things that Jesus taught concerning the Father and concerning himself and concerning the Holy Spirit, and he taught it to these disciples. Now also what we see reflected in the Apostles' Creed is what was the emphasis of these apostles as they went out ever further into the world to uh, proclaim the gospel wherever they went. These are the things that were emphasized repeatedly as they gave their discipleship and evangelism and instruction. Now, the question would come is, did these men, these 12 men or some of the other people that are referred to as apostles but not in the same sense as these, But did these men just come together and have a meeting and decide, okay, I think that we need to boil this thing down and we need to make sure that all of us are not just merely in unity with one another, but we need to go beyond unity, we need to go to uniformity so that what we will say is the same thing wherever we go. No, nothing like that happened at all. Nothing like that happened. What happened is the disciples, as apostles, went out and they preached. But what did they preach? They preached the things that they had seen and heard and been instructed to pass on by Jesus himself. The Holy Spirit giving them that direction of what to do. But they didn't go into adding things to the message that were uniquely theirs. They proclaimed really the things that they had been taught by Christ. Well, then how did the creed come into existence? Now, this is a bother to some people, so listen. It came into existence slowly over five centuries. 
So when you say the Apostles' Creed, there's certain aspects of the Apostles' Creed that didn't come into existence until somewhere into the five and six hundreds. You hear what I just said? We call this the what? Apostles' Creed. And I'm just saying some of the things came 400, 500 years after the last apostle died. Now, were the things that were taught or that were added in four or five hundred years after the last apostle died, were they things that were different from what the apostles taught? No. No. They were things that seemed, because of the circumstances in which the church found itself, 300, 400, five years after Christ had gone into heaven, there were certain things in his ministry that Jesus taught, that the apostles taught, but had not seemed to be as important. And so they weren't. But then at a certain point in time, these things became very important. They were put in the creed at that time. Let me give you a for instance. Here I am at age 65, okay? Now, there was a time when I was in the Presbyterian Church, started at Memorial Presbyterian Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. Dad got a job transferred to Orlando, so we went to the John Knox Presbyterian Church in Winter Park, Florida. Then we moved back to West Palm Beach, went back to Memorial Presbyterian Church. Memorial Presbyterian Church decided to start Lake Osborne Presbyterian Church, and my family became part of the group that started that church. Now, I wasn't a Christian until I was about 22, but I was raised in those churches. Now, I was hearing things, and one of the things that I would hear is Psalm 139. Now today, where does Psalm 139 fit into the church's thinking to a great extent today? When we think of Psalm 139, what do we think of? Any idea? Well, it's one of the clearest things that has that the scriptures tell us about God's personal and intimate knowledge of the unborn. I was not hid from thee when I was in my mother's womb. I never heard that emphasized when I was a young person. Here's what I heard. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That verse was repeated over and over again in the, the liturgy that was used in the church, in the pastor's prayer, sometimes as a conclusion to a sermon, the pastor would quote that verse. I heard that verse over and over again. I, you know, you might have said, did you know it was Psalm 139? No, I knew it came from the Psalms. But then the whole issue of abortion came into our culture and when it came into the culture, then people ransacking the scripture looked at Psalm 139 and said, saw the amazing things that it taught about God's knowledge of the unborn. 
And all of a sudden, that psalm had, as it were, a new life in the culture of the church. That's the way the the Apostles' Creed uh, found additions to it. And so what, what is it that was apostolic and what was the purpose of it? From the earliest days, the church has confessed what it believes. Why? Why did the church do this? Well, it's found very clearly in the text that we just read. Uh, It differentiates. The creed differentiates. Okay, when I was a kid. By the way, you know how all the cars look the same today? You know how you look at... When I was a kid in the 60s, you could look at a car and you could tell if it was a Chevrolet or if it was a Buick or a Pontiac. You could just look at them and you you could just tell from their profile. Well, today they're all shaped like Porsches, bullets. That's where they got it from. So I'm driving the most bullet car of them all. But when you go back to in the 1930s, there's a period of time right at the end of the 1930s where you can take about... 10 or 12 different automobiles and you can line them up and look at their profiles and you better be good to be able to just look at the profiles and tell you which cars are Chevy and which ones are Buick. It's pretty tough. There's a lot of religions that are like that. You can set them side by side and they all look pretty much the not Christianity. The apostles use creedal statements to differentiate. Today we need to think about the apostles' creed not as just something the church says by rote, but it sets us apart from other people in other ways of worshiping God in this world today just as it did then. So these were to differentiate Christians from competing religious systems by focusing on the essentials of what it means to be a Christian. What is it that distinguishes us? So we talked about the first statement. It was nothing that required illumination So it's very terse. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And we don't need to say much more than that. But when we come to talking about the nature and person of Jesus, well, that requires more information, more clarity, and the more that we know and the more that we express It differentiates us, sets us apart from what other people believe or don't believe in the world. So, well, over time, what we see is that there was an initial, simple statement that the church made. Their their simple statement was something like this. Jesus is the Son of God. Now, if you said that in the early centuries, or in, especially in Palestine, right after the resurrection and ascension of Christ into heaven, P- 
People knew if you said Jesus is the Son of God, you must be a Christian. But then Christianity then went out. Thomas went as far as India. We don't know how far Paul got. We know he at least got to Rome. We know, he tells us, he intended to go to Spain. We know that there were apostles that went down into Africa. And so we know that as the apostolic period continues, you see a gathering of these apostles in Asia Minor and then later on in Rome. These apostles went out. And as they went out, they found themselves having to set apart what Christians believe over against what other religions and other cultures believed. And so in order to do this, this phrase, Jesus is the Son of God, expanded. And it sort of expanded like this. Jesus is the Son of God, our Lord. Little more time, and it became Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, our Lord. That's how this would have developed over time, over probably the first 100, 150 years of the life of the church. Now, the creed found acceptance across broad lines in the expanding historical Christian world. Why? Why did it find acceptance? Because it was helpful. It helped distinguish and differentiate what we believe. And so as this was understood, it allowed the dissemination of the gospel to move more quickly and more deeply into the cultures in which it was proclaimed. Now, when we look at the passage of, from Matthew we just looked at and read, these, in these verses there is a clear, but there is a limited confession of faith by the apostle. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's pretty close to this phrase, believe in Jesus Christ, God's Son, only begotten Son, our Lord. Very similar to what Peter is saying here. First of all, it's singular. When we come together and we express this creed, Typically, um, you know, when I look out there, it's very interesting. Unless you think that I'm blind, or the other pastors are blind, or that we're stupid, or something, we do see you. You know how it says of Santa Claus, he knows when you're awake or asleep? We know. <laughs> we know. <laughs> you know. You may have a good game going, so you think. But when your good game goes week after week after week, we pretty much got it figured out. <laughs> You're either in, like I used to, when, when the preacher used to preach, I didn't sleep when I was a child. 
I went to the Bahamas. So we know when you're doing that too. <laughs> All right. When we say the creed, oftentimes I'll see sometimes men, sometimes women. That's what they're doing. They're not saying the creed. Well, there's a song from the 60s, I wonder, 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 what does that person believe if they can't say the creed? You need to think about that. Why wouldn't you say this creed? Peter was asked, who do you say I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, when he said that, was he saying that merely for himself? Merely. No. There were at least ten others, Judas accepted, who basically had come to believe the same thing. And later on, all of them would say something very much like this. So, first of all, it was something that Peter said, but something that was together, unspoken, but yet deeply felt and understood by those other disciples. Now, the other thing is, when we say, Christian, what is you believe? And you say, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Are you saying this to the air? Is that what you're doing? Just saying this creed to the air? Who was Peter saying this to when Jesus asked him the question? Who was he speaking about? Who was he speaking to? He was speaking about the Lord and he was speaking to the Lord. And when we confess our faith, we are confessing our faith to principally the Lord. And we need to be very careful to understand that that's what we're doing. The other thing is, we are expressing our faith in unity with other people who see themselves as believers as well. But the third thing in the missionary sense of this is we're expressing this faith to the world. Now, sometimes there are people there that don't express their faith when we use the creed because they don't know the creed, because they're not familiar with the basics of the Christian faith. And so they don't know the creed. Okay, sometimes we print it, and sometimes they read it, but it's new to them. But when we express the faith, using the creed, we express it to the Lord. This is what I believe about you, God. This is what we are expressing to one another in unity, and this is what we're expressing to the world. That's what, what is going on here. Now, after Jesus asks the question, after Peter answers the question, we see that Jesus expands what we are to know and what we are to understand. So he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. These things weren't something you figured out on your own, but my father revealed these things to you. 
Now, what Jesus didn't say was, our Father revealed these things to you. Jesus said, my Father. And that's this unique sense in which we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son. Nobody can really say, my Father of God, in the way that Jesus says that. Because God has how many unique sons? Only begotten. One unique son. One mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. And then he says, our Lord. Now as you go down through this passage of scripture. And Peter is taking Jesus aside in verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. So what is Pe- who is Peter calling Lord? Well, he's calling Jesus Lord. Now, we've just about covered this whole phrase out of this one t- very key text in which there is a very clear confession of faith made by the person who is going to be uh, the chief apostle. And so this chief apostle is making this confession. And so when the church began to confess their faith in the way that Peter confessed their faith, they saw that they were confessing their faith in the manner of the Apostles. They were doing nothing that the apostles hadn't already done and modeled for them. So it became more or less the idea this is the Apostles' Creed. Now, the question becomes what do we believe? What do you and I believe when we say, I believe these things? Well, In verses 13 and 14, you see that there were a number of uh, thoughts of the general population concerning Jesus. Well, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Well, Jesus, when he asked that question, uh, the disciples began to say, well, some of you think that you're John the Baptist. Some think you're Elijah. Others think you're Jeremiah. Others think that you're one of the apostles. Now, we could say this about the general population of Jesus' time. They all thought Jesus was unique, thought Jesus was special. They were trying to figure out who Jesus really was. That's what's going on. There were multitude of opinions. The general population had opinions about Jesus. Problem. Almost everybody in the general population's opinion about Jesus was what? Wrong. It was wrong. Now, how similar does that sound to that today? Right now. You go out there 
and you ask people who Jesus is, you're going to get a lot of expressions of what the general population thinks. And they're basically, especially those people outside the church, you know, in all honesty, we can go to some of our mainline churches that use the Apostles' Creed every single week. And we can ask them this question, who do you think Jesus is? And they will express something that is totally foreign to the content of the Apostles' Creed. Because they don't think of the Apostles' Creed as a Jesus definition. That's what it is. This is what we're to believe about Jesus. If Jesus... It is Jesus who developed his followers. It's he who called them to make their opinion of him to him directly, to do it indirectly to one another, then to do it to the world. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. He is calling us to be able to tell him directly, this is who I think you are. This is who I believe you are. We're to encourage one another in this, and we're to put this before the world. Now, there's a lot of belief. There's a lot of belief in our culture. Okay? I happen to believe in electricity. What about you? You believe in electricity? I believe in electricity. I trust electricity. I know very little about electricity. I was thinking the other day, I really need to study up on how, in an automobile, a coil works. I need to, I need to work on that one. I'm not real clear on that. But I, I want to know about that. I, I thought about it before I even wrote anything out for this sermon thing today. But I know better than to mess around with something that I don't know much about. Don't you? When you have something of an electrical problem, do you do it yourself? I don't. I get somebody that knows what's going on over there. You know, uh, we used to have a member of this church, now PCA pastor, named Reggie Hasley. You know, Reggie was a state-certified electrician. He knows more than me. I've had some friends in the past who had degrees in electrical engineering. They know a whole lot more about me than me. We all believe in electricity, and some of us know more than others. But we are all to know and should be expected to know the essentials about Jesus, and not merely to know them, but to be believing them. All right, look at what we don't believe. We're not like the Jehovah's Witnesses. The Jehovah's Witnesses think that Jesus now is in a small a, a son of God. Okay? A son of God. Not the son of God, but a son of God. Do you know that they all believe that all the men that are Mormons are equally sons of God? Excuse me, I've jumped to the Mormons. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is a son of God. 
The Mormons believe that Lucifer and Christ are brothers. We don't believe that. The Christian scientists believe that he's only a very, very good man and a teacher. We don't believe that. Islam believes that Jesus is only one of many prophets. We don't believe that. Today, the radical secularists say we don't believe that Jesus has had any really true meaningful effect for good in the world. We don't believe that. And the religious pluralists basically believe that Jesus is merely one of many ways to God. And we don't believe that. But what do we believe? Now, again, I think in the church, I think many people in the church today are like the egg in a bacon and egg breakfast. In a bacon and egg breakfast, the chicken is involved and the pig is committed. Now, I think most Christians are like the egg. They're involved in Christianity. They're a part of Christianity. But they're not committed to Christianity. Now, the question would be, what do you believe? Are you more like the chicken or more like the pig? You've really got to come to grips with this. Why are we having so little effect in the culture because the bulk of the Christian population are more like the chicken. They're involved in Christianity. They're not like the pig committed to Christianity. Now that's something to really be taking home and thinking about. When we look at this in conclusion, Jesus said, They said about Jesus, his name shall be called Jesus. What will he do? He will save his people from their sin. He is the Christ. That's his official title. He's the Messiah, the anointed one, the fulfiller of all the Old Testament promises and uh, prophecies. He's the unique son of God. Jesus in his essential divine nature, very God of very God. The Father's anointed set for our salvation. He's the Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is the Yahweh of the Old Testament, the I Am that spoke to Moses. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the ruler over all. And he's the only mediator between God and man. Our. He's my Lord. In my Savior, he's our Lord in our Savior. We've got to think that way. We've got a world to rewin. And one of the ways that we're going to rewin it is to help the culture know what it is about us that is truly different. And help them to see. We're not here just to blend in with them. We are here to be distinct from them in that we belong to the Lord 
in every dimension of our life, and that in doing this, that we can be the salt and the light, and through us, the message of salvation can come to a lost and dying world. That's the effort of the Apostles' Creed. That needs to be our effort, and we need to be clear. Let's pray. Bless us and keep us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Help us to be excited about these things, to know these things, and then to proclaim these things to a lost world. We make our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.